and welcome to Misinformation, a trivia podcast for ladies and gents who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams of pub quiz. We're your hosts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Julia. Hey, Jewel. Hi, Lauren. Uh, so I'm I'm very excited about our uh, my topic today. Yes. Um, it's been a while since I've, I've delved into this, and I think... Um, it's time to get back into it. It's time. It's my series on series. And before I did Dune. Yes. Um, which was a nightmare. Yeah. Which I, some of people that I knew absolutely refused to listen to it. Like they got, <laughs> they got like 10 minutes in and they were like, I got to be honest with you. I could not finish that. <laughs> um, so, so poo on you, all of you. Uh, but, um, Today, I think, is a little bit more accessible. Digestible, if Digestible, you will. Digestible, if you will. So today, my topic is a series of series, The Lord of the Rings. Wonderful. Yeah. Because I think a lot of us are have at least passing familiarity with sure. this. Sure. If, if not... You know, the types of obsessives that your husband is. Yes. Well, I wouldn't call him an obsessive. Well, he knows a lot about it, but he's certainly not. There are there are famous obsessives that sure. we will talk about. Um, but yeah, it's definitely um, it. Fans are like big, big, big fans uh, because of its history and all of the like the in-depth knowledge and like this world that J.R.L. Tolkien created. But um, we'll get into it. First, I'm going to ask you, have you read any of the books? No. Okay. Because have... I couldn't figure out when it was happening. Okay. Yep. I know you have a problem with that, <laughs> but we'll we'll talk about it. Um, and two, have you ever seen the movies? Yes. I've seen all the movies. I've seen all the movies. Yeah. Okay, great. Did you see The Hobbit? Yes. Okay. I did not finish. I didn't see the Smog one. The Smog? That's yeah. The Hobbit. No, but I did. But there's three of those. I, oh. I saw the first Hobbit, but I didn't see this, The Desolation of Smog. Oh, and The Desolation it, of Smog. Et cetera. Uh, yeah, I didn't see the last one because, uh, frankly, it was terrible. But we won't talk about that. We're going to talk about the books. So let's talk very briefly about the author, J.R.R. Tolkien, or his full name, John Ronald Raoul Tolkien, known as Ronald to his friends. Uh, he was an English writer, poet, philologist, and academic who authored the classic high fantasy works The Hobbit, The Lord of the Rings, and The Silmarillion. And we'll talk about The Silmarillion much later. He served as the Rawlinson and Bosworth Professor of Anglo-Saxon and Fellow of Pembroke College in Oxford from 1925 to 1945, and Merton Professor of English Language and Literature and Fellow of Merton College, Oxford from 45 to 59. He was at one time a close friend of C.S. Lewis. They were both members of the informal literary discussion group known as the Inklings, which is famous even now. Tolkien was appointed a commander of the Order of the British Empire by Queen Elizabeth II in March of 1972. So after Tolkien's death, his son Christopher published a series of works based on his father's extensive notes and unpublished manuscripts, including The Silmarillion. And these, together with The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, form a connected body of tales, poems, fictional histories, invented languages, and literary essays about a fantasy world called Arda and Middle-earth within it. And between 1951 and 1955, Tolkien applied the term legendarium to the larger part of these writings. So all of his writings were were in the the universe mm-hmm. of Arda, which is the world. And then Middle Earth is like um, the continent where a lot of this stuff happened, but not all of it. 
Um, so while many other authors had published works of fantasy before Tolkien, the great success of The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings led directly to a popular resurgence of the genre. And we'll talk about that later. But this has caused Tolkien to be popularly identified as the father of modern fantasy literature, or more precisely, of high fantasy. Mm-hmm. And high fantasy is like is basically Lord of the Rings where there's languages, there's countries, there's cultures. Game of Thrones high fantasy. Game of Thrones is high fantasy. Yes. It has like a vague, like middle ages kind of quality to it, but not really. There's magic and sword clashing and that kind of thing. Um, In 2008, the times ranked him sixth on a list of the 50 greatest British writers since 1945. And Forbes ranked him the fifth top earning dead celebrity in 2009. (laughs) Oh, wow. So first we're going to talk about the races in, uh, that's, they're called, they're called, they're like different, like (laughs) ethnic groups and, and kinds Mm -hmm. of like characters in the series. So hobbits, what are hobbits you ask? Well, uh, they are a human like race about half the height of humans and are also referred to as halflings. Yes. Uh, they live barefooted and live in underground houses, which have windows and as they are typically built into the side of hills. Uh, Bilbo Baggins, uh, his house is called Bag End, and they dress in bright colors favoring yellow and green. They're usually shy, but are nevertheless capable of great courage and amazing feats under the proper circumstances. They are adept at throwing stones. Uh, For the most part, they cannot grow beards, although some of them can, (laughs) but not all of them. Uh, Their feet are covered with curly hair, usually brown, as is the hair on their heads with leathery soles, so hobbits hardly ever wear shoes. And the race's average life expectancy is 100 years old. And they love snacks. Oh, they love snacks. Oh, I'll talk about that. Uh, Hobbits are considered to come of age on their 33rd birthday, so a 50-year-old hobbit would be regarded as entering middle age. Oh. Uh, They are fond of an unadventurous, bucolic, and simple life of farming, eating, and socializing, um, although capable of defending their homes courageously if the need arises, as I mentioned. Of course. They would enjoy six meals a day if they could get them. (laughs) Uh, They are often described as enjoying simple foods such as cake, bread, meat, potatoes, ale, and tea. And they claim to have invented the art of smoking pipe weed, um, which is basically just ganj. Um, (laughs) And in Tolkien's world, you could call them the English, basically. Okay. These are people after mine own heart. If I could spend my day eating and socializing, that's more the better. So let's talk about the dwarves. Yes. Also small people. They are described as shorter and stockier than elves and men. There's also men in this mm-hmm. world. Um, they are able to withstand both heat and cold. They're very, they're very hardy okay. people. Uh, they prefer to live underground, especially in cities under mountains. Um, they are based on the Jewish people. Ah, um, like medieval Jewish groups, the dwarves use their own language, which is called Kuzdul, which is based on Hebrew phonology. Hmm. Remember, Tolkien was a philologist, which is okay. someone who studied languages. Um, they use their own language only amongst themselves, and they adopt the language of those who that they live amongst for the most part. For example, taking public names from the cultures they lived within while keeping their true names and true language a secret. And this is something that medieval Jewish groups did. Okay. Tolkien further underlines the diaspora of the dwarves with the lost stronghold of the Mines of Moria. This is also like the the Jewish diaspora. He kind Mm -hmm. of like creates these links. Um, They're associated with mining, metallurgy, blacksmithing, and jewelry. And they also have a contentious relationship with elves. Um, They have uh, beards. They always grow beards. And the length of their beard uh, shows not only the age, but like the experience of the individual dwarf. Do Do they braid them and stuff? 
Um, yeah, for like war and things, mm-hmm. like they'll braid them so that they get out, they can get out of the way. But like they like to show off how long and lush their beards are, kind of a thing. Like, like men in Portland, Oregon. Yes, like men in Portland, Oregon. They really love to like keep up the beard. Um, elves. Uh, elves whose language known as Kenya or Elfin, although Tolkien had a great time with the elves and created several languages oh, for right. him. Um, they, the language is based on the old Celtic languages of this earth. Uh, and there are two kinds. There's wood elves and high elves. Wood elves, as you imagine, uh, live in the woods. Mm-hmm. And they're a little bit like tougher. Like they're a little bit more aggressive. Uh, they're not as... And high elves are like elegant Beautiful. And beautiful. They usually live near water. Gaze They're very sparkly. Them. Yes. They are, in fact, a combination of Celtic and Scandinavian culture and mythology. Uh, Tolkien just loved elves. Oh, it was his favorite. He wrote about them long before he started The Hobbit. He created long and complicated backstories, languages, and even special scripts and runes that you see in all yeah. the books. Um, they are immortal, tall, exceedingly beautiful, and tend to have icy blonde hair, but not always. Mm-hmm. Um, however, they can be killed in battle, uh, but when they're done with life, uh, if they haven't been killed in battle, they travel across the sea to the Hall of Mandos and Valinor, where their bodies die and their spirits inhabit a new shinier body. This is very like Scandinavian. This is very mm-hmm. Norse mythological. Yeah. Um, they can return to Middle Earth then if they want to, but they almost never do because Valinor is <laughs> pretty great. Pretty cool. Um, they are excellent archers and smithies, and they make a kind of impenetrable chainmail using a metal called mithril. Mm. So if you watch the movies, you see them like the all of the characters get the yeah. mithril at some point. So let's get into the stories. We've already hit like the high notes. Let's talk about it. So The Hobbit, or The Hobbit, or There and Back Again is the subtitle. It is a children's fantasy novel. It was originally written as a children's book. It was published in September 1937 to wide critical acclaim, being nominated for the Carnegie Medal and awarded a prize from the New York Herald Tribune for Best Juvenile Fiction. In a 1955 letter to W.H. Auden, Tolkien recollects that he began work on The Hobbit one day, early in the 1930s, when he was marking school certificate papers. He found a blank page. Suddenly inspired, he wrote the words, In a hole in the ground there lived a hobbit. And that just started it all. Uh, by late 1932, he had finished the story and then lent the manuscript to several friends, including C.S. Lewis, to kind of like take a look. Uh, the Eagle and Child Pub in Oxford mm-hmm. is where the Inklings did a lot of their meeting and rating. Yes. And um, your girl here has <gasps> in, has indulged in quite a few pints. At the Eagle, at and, the Child. Eagle and Child. Mm, yes. I think I remember you telling me about that. Wink. Winkity wink. <laughs> um, so the story's protagonist, his name is Bilbo Baggins. He is a hobbit in, quote, comfortable middle age who lives in the Shire, which is an inland area of the Middle Earth settled exclusively by hobbits. Um, uh, yeah, as an FYI, again, the world of this this mm-hmm. environment is called Arda, but the majority of the action in all the books is in the central continent of Middle Earth. And in all the books, there is usually like a map at the beginning mm-hmm. of the book. So you can kind of like follow the That's action. Helpful. It's pretty cool. Um, So at the beginning of the book, Bilbo is hanging out at home when a very tall, sharp-eyed wizard comes to his door and offers him an adventure. This is Gandalf the Grey. He is in the books, all the books in one way or another. And Gandalf tricks Bilbo into hosting a party. He puts a mark on the door that says, Mm -hmm. like, come here. Um, So he hosts a party for Thorin Oakenshield and his band of 12 dwarves. These are all dwarves. Mm -hmm. Thorin Oakenshield is like a big time dwarf guy. So here are the dwarves. Philly and Killy. Balin, Dwalin, Owen, Glowin, 
Dory, Nori, Ori, Biffer, Buffer, and Bomber. So. <laughs> Got it? Got it? So <laughs> Philly and Killy are the two youngest. They were brought on uh, because they have very sharp eyesight. Mm-hmm. As dwarves age, their eyesight doesn't get as good. Okay. Um, Balin and Dwalin. Philly and Killy are brothers. Balin and Dwalin are brothers as well. Balin becomes good friends with Bilbo. Okay. He's the only one after this whole adventure happens that comes back to the Shire to visit him. They hang out. Uh, Owen and Glowen have more. It, some people say Oin and Gloin because that's how it's spelled, but there's an accent there. It's Owen and Glowen. Um, Biffer, Boffer, and Bomber are my favorites. Bomber is, uh, is like, as you can imagine from his name, he is the roundest and most fond of snacks of the 12 dwarves. <laughs> Um, so during the party, they sing of reclaiming the lonely mountain and its vast treasure from the dragon Smaug. So uh, because um, what happened was there's this diaspora of dwarves. Mm-hmm. They lived in the lonely mountain. They had they had mined it. They had created this entire culture in this great city. And they were driven out by Smaug, who took over. And now they are going back to reclaim it. So that's what they want to do. They want to go back to the lonely mountain. So... When the music ends, Gandalf unveils a map showing a secret door in the mountain and proposes that the to the dumbfounded Bilbo that he serves as the expedition's quote unquote burglar because he's so small. Okay, um, the dwarves hate this idea; they ridicule him. But because this is a great like reverse psychology, Bilbo's like, I can do it, and so he joins despite himself. Um, so the group travels into the wild where Gandalf saves the company from trolls and leads them to Rivendell where Elrond reveals more secrets from the map. Elrond is the head elf of Rivendell, which is the elf like city. He's the Hugo weaving. He's the Hugo weaving. If you've seen the movies. Yes. Very beautiful. Um, when they attempt to cross the Misty Mountains, they are caught by goblins and driven deep underground. And although Gandalf rescues them, Bilbo gets separated from the others as they flee the goblins. And lost in the goblin tunnels, he stumbles across a mysterious ring and then encounters Gollum, who engages him in a game of riddles. So Gollum is this, he's called Gollum because it's the noise he makes. It's mm-hmm. an onomatopoeic. Um, he like literally falls and he, when he's like moving his hands around to like reorient himself, he sees a ring, he feels a ring, and by instinct, he just like slips it into his pocket. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a reward for solving all riddles, Gollum will show him the path out of the tunnels, but if he fails, um, he's going to eat him, kill him and eat him, uh, because Gollum loves fish, uh, but he's sick of fish, so he's going to eat this little man. Um, so with the help of the ring, which can, which makes you invisible, as it turns out, Bilbo discovers, he escapes and rejoins the dwarves in improving his reputation with them. They were like, oh man, he did, and he kind of like embellished it a little bit. He was like, yeah. oh man, and then I fought this guy, and he was like, please stop. And I was like, no, never, show me the way out. You know, like this whole thing. Um, so they are chased by goblins and wargs. Wargs are evil wolves. Oof giant evil wolves uh, that the goblins use as like mounts and also like pets and like as like they're violent like mm-hmm. to destroy things. Um, so the company is saved by eagles before resting in the house of Bjorn. So eagles come and snatch them up and then they go to the house of Bjorn and Bjorn is a man who is a shapeshifter and he can turn into uh, a bear. Ooh. Uh, but he is uh, he is their friend. He um, supports them in their quest. And because he is a shapeshifter, he has a really good relationship with all the animals. Mm-hmm. And so this becomes a major thing later. But he is okay. kind of like an independent, 
like party who decides to support them, but he has nothing to do with any of this okay. conflict or whatever. So, um, the company enters the black forest of Mirkwood without Gandalf. And in Mirkwood, Bilbo first saves the dwarves from giant spiders. And then from the dungeons of the wood elves, because the wood elves, they do not talk to the high elves. And they were like, who are these yeah. assholes? And elves and dwarves don't always get along. No, right? elves and dwarves do not always get along. So they were like, I'm not helping you with nothing. Get into the dungeon. Um, so, uh, nearing the lonely mountain, the travelers are welcomed by the human inhabitants of Lake town, um, who hope the dwarves will fulfill prophecies of Smaug's demise because Smaug also, because Lake town is the closest town to the lonely mountain. He also messed up there. Yeah. Things are bad. So the expedition travels to the lonely mountain and finds the secret door. Uh, Bilbo scouts the dragon's lair, stealing a great cup and espying a gap in Smaug's armor. He has armor uh, because he lies in all of the jewels and metals, Mm -hmm. and they crust and crust his belly. Ah. Um, But there is a chink where there is like no jewels. There's like a little spot. And he's like, oh, that's where we could get him. Um, So uh, the dragon gets pissed off smaug is like get away from me he deduces that lake town has aided the intruder and sets out to destroy the town he was like i'm killing everybody now um so a thrush like a bird overheard bilbo's report of smaug's vulnerability he like whispers it to Mm -hmm. the bird like please tell the guys at lake town uh and reports it to lake town defender bard that's the name of the guy Mm -hmm. he's an archer uh bard's arrow finds the hollow spot and slays the dragon as it flies over lake town and everything is great the dwarves take possession of the mountain. Bilbo finds this giant stone called the Arken Stone, which is an heirloom of Thorin's family, and he hides it. Okay. Um, then the wood elves and the lake men besiege the mountain and request compensation for their aid. They're like, we helped you, um, but Thorin refused. Hmm. Uh, so he like summons all the dwarves from the Iron Hills. He's like, come on, guys, we're getting back into Lake Town. I mean, we're getting back into the Lonely Mountain. Um, and they reinforce his position. And then, like, there's a war a brewing, which is crazy because it's like this is, should be the end of the yeah. movie, uh, end of the movie, <laughs> end of the story. Um, so Bilbo tries to ransom the Arkenstone okay. to to make them stop, but Thorin is only enraged at the betrayal, and he banishes Bilbo, and the battle seems inevitable. So Gandalf reappears as he is wont to do to warn all of an approaching army of goblins and wargs. He's like, everybody, you've got more problems. So the dwarves, men, and elves band together, but only with the timely arrival of the eagles and Bjorn do they win the climactic, which is known as the Battle of the Five Armies. And unfortunately, Thorin is fatally wounded and reconciles with Bilbo before he dies. Mm. So big battle. Like they beat the, uh, the goblins and the wargs and they drive them back. And then they divide the treasure that was promised them. Bilbo accepts only a small portion of his share of the treasure, having no want or need for more, Hmm. but still returns home a very wealthy hobbit roughly a year and a month after he first left. And that is the end of The Hobbit. He went there and he went back again. And he came back. Yep. So, Lord of the Rings. It is an epic high fantasy novel. Epic. This is like not a kid's book anymore. No. Like the... Hobbit had a lot of like songs and poems. It was written in a very like childlike style. Mm-hmm. It was an adventure story, but not too like scary. There wasn't a lot of like, you know, like battle strategy or like, yeah. you know, it was very like a simple story for all intents and purposes. Um, it is significantly more adult than The Hobbit, mm-hmm. as I could say. 
Uh, it began as a sequel to The Hobbit, but eventually developed into a much larger work, and it was written in stages between 1937 and 1949. The Lord of the Rings is one of the best-selling novels ever written with over 150 million copies sold. So the story of how The Lord of the Rings came about, after the success of The Hobbit, Tolkien's publisher requested a sequel, and Tolkien sent them an early draft of The Silmarillion, but they rejected the work as being obscure and quote-unquote too Celtic, which is oh, funny. okay. Um, so persuaded by his publishers, he started a new Hobbit in December 1937. He thought it was just going to be like a continuation of the Bilbo story. But after f- several false starts, the story of the One Ring emerged. So this idea of the ring that he just kind of found. Okay. So they didn't really get into that in The Hobbit. No, not right. at all. Other than like he put it on and he disappeared. Yes. And okay. got away from Gollum. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea for the first chapter, which was called A Long Expected Party, arrived fully formed. He just like wrote and it just came to him. Um, although the reasons behind Bilbo's disappearance, the significance of the ring, and the title The Lord of the Rings did not arrive until the spring of 1938. Originally, he planned to write a story in which Bilbo had used up all his treasure and was looking for another adventure to gain more. However, he remembered the ring and its powers and thought that would be a better focus for the new work. So why is it called The Lord of the Rings? Um, the title of the novel refers to the story's main antagonist, who is the Dark Lord Sauron, who had in an earlier age created the one ring to rule the other rings of power as the ultimate weapon in his campaign to conquer and rule all of Middle Earth. So Sauron is so, the Lord of so the Rings. So Sauron is the the Lord of the Rings because he was the one who created the one one ring. Oh. Right? I know. You, it's, you don't kind of, you don't you really get that. connect all that. Yeah. You don't really get that in the stories at mm-hmm. all. Um, so this is just the briefest story of like how the rings came to be. So consisting of 20 bands in total. You should read it like you're doing a Kate Blanchett's voice. (laughs) Oh, consisting of 20 bands in total. All but one were created by the Nolderin Elvensmiths of Eriajan. No. Um, okay. Consisting of 20 bands in total. All but one were created by the Noldoran Elvensmiths of Aragon, led by their ruler, Celebrimbor, under the deception of Sauron, who came in disguise as a fair-looking emissary named Anatar. Apparently, essentially, like, there were 20 rings made by some Elvensmiths, and they were like, you know, it would be a great, good idea if each one of us had a ring of power. Mm-hmm. So when worn, each ring can give its bearer a power to govern their respective race. So three rings were given to the remaining elf leaders in Middle Earth. Mm-hmm. Seven rings were sent to the dwarf lords and nine rings to several leaders of men. Okay. However, all of these rings are bound to a master ring, the one ring. The one ring to rule them all. To rule them all, exactly. Which the Dark Lord had forged alone in secret at Mount Doom to control all the other wearers, effectively ruling a dominion over Middle-earth. So he, in disguise, was like, you know it would be really great if you all had these rings of power and then you could rule your own like areas and that would be great. And then when they were all like, yeah, that's a great idea, they all got their rings and then he secretly made a more powerful ring that connected to the other ones where he was like, ha ha ha, I'm going to take everything. So, again, this is not super apparent in the books themselves. Uh, At least the Lord of the Rings books, I should say. So, Sauron raged an assault upon the elves who hid them upon discovering his true motive. So, they were like, ooh, let's get rid of these. Let's put them away. Um, So, he successfully captured all of them but the three, which remained hidden from him, though the seven only fueled the greed of the dwarves. The nine corrupted the men whose desire for power made them fall Mm -hmm. under his dominance and eventually become the Nazgul, 
who are his chief servants. Ah, the things that fly around. Yes, they are and also known as the ring wraiths or the black riders. Yes, or simply the nine. They look like dark ghosts on yeah, horseback, like a, like a like a helmet. Yes, and the they have no face. Yeah, they have no face. They're very and terrifying. They cannot be killed by man. No, they cannot be killed by man. Ooh, Ooh. Ooh. we'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> so the first book is called The Fellowship of the Ring. Okay. So the story again begins in the Shire where Frodo Baggins inherits the ring from Bilbo on his 111st birthday, who is his cousin. So he, Frodo refers to Bilbo as his uncle, mm-hmm. but they're cousins. Everyone's related. Yeah, everyone's Shire, related. I'm sure. Please. Um, he is also, uh, Bilbo is also Frodo's uh, guardian. Mm-hmm. They've been living together for a while. Um, neither Hobbit is aware of the ring's nature, obviously, but Gandalf suspects it to be the ring lost by Sauron, the Dark Lord, long ago. And 17 years later, after Gandalf confirms this is true, he tells Frodo the history of the ring and counsels him to take it away from the Shire. He's like, this is going to corrupt you. You got to get rid of okay. it. So Frodo sets out accompanied by his gardener, servant, and friend, Samwise Sam Gamgee. I know. <laughs> Sam's so good. Um, he also takes his two cousins, Mariadoc or Mary Brandybuck, and Peregrine or Pippin Took. Or Took. Um, Full of a Took. The Took. Follow the Took. Um, they are nearly caught by the Nazgul, but shake off their pursuers by cutting through the old forest. And there they are aided by Tom Bombadil, a strange and merry fellow who lives with his wife, Goldberry, in the forest. So he doesn't show up in the movies. He does not show up in the movies. And people were uh, pissed about it. Um, this is a weird part of the story. It's a strange interlude where there's songs and poems and stuff. And I'm not sure what Tolkien wanted to do with that. Maybe create a light moment. I asked Steve about this. I was like, what, what is the Tom Bombadil thing? Because Fellowship of the Ring ends up, it's a pretty like, with some light moments, like a pretty dark story. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an adventure story, but it's kind of dark. And I'm like, Tom Bombadil is just like this weird hippie that lives in the forest with his wife. Again, Goldberry is like one of the few female characters mm-hmm. in this whole like thing. So people were also mad that they actually cut out right. a f- like one of the few female characters. And Steve was like, I don't know. I think Tom Bombadil is just there to give like some flavor to the world and that he is this character, this person that has been there long before this all happened and will Mm -hmm. remain long after this whole thing goes down. And he's just like some extra like flavor for Middle Earth. It's a great explanation. Yeah. I was like, okay, I can see that now. Either way, it was left out of the movie because it was already going to be three and a half hours long. Um, still, people, and you didn't need people to be like, "Who? Who? What? What's with this? Like super high hippie? Oh, that's another thing. Like Pom- Tom Bombadil loved that that pipe weed. Oh yes. Um, people were furious that Tom Bombadil was out, but what are you going to do? So, the hobbits reached the town of Bree where they encounter a ranger named Strider. So a ranger is like mm-hmm. someone who kind of oh, like, yeah. They encountered a ranger named mm. Strider. Mm. And so did the rest of us yes. watching watching on the big screen. Oh, yeah. Mm. Aragorn. Um, so Strider is his nickname, but he's he's his real name is Aragorn. Um, played by uh, Viggo Mortensen. Mortensen, who, man, just a strong jaw. And like, just very handsome. blue eyes. Oh, he's so handsome. And the scruff. Yeah, just a little bit of scruff. Just like you could tell he's seen some shit. Yeah, but like you feel like you could change him, you know? You can get him to settle down. <laughs> Again, one of the few sexy characters in, um, in Lord of the Rings. In Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Unless you have like a thing An for elf dwarves, fetish. Which, you know what? I'm not going to yuck anybody's yum. Um, 
So anyway, Gandalf had mentioned Strider in a letter to Frodo. So they like meet up with him and they see him as like an ally. Um, And he persuades the hobbits to take him on as their guide and protector. And together they leave Bree after another close escape from the Nazgul. So on the hill of Weathertop, they are again attacked by the Nazgul who wounds Frodo with a cursed blade. Do they realize why they keep getting attacked? Um, yes, because Gandalf is like this, you better like guard this ring with your life. Uh Everybody and their brother is coming after you. So they know why. Okay. And that's also why they let Strider persuade them Mm -hmm. to like, because they're like, we're not going to be able to do this by ourselves. We are literally tiny people who don't wear shoes. We are very tiny shoeless people. We are very tiny And we are hungry. (laughs) All the time. (laughs) (laughs) We do not get enough to eat. So Strider fights them off and leads the hobbits toward the elven refuge of Rivendell, which was where his uncle had been before Mm -hmm. um frodo falls deathly ill from the wound because it is a cursed blade and the nazgul nearly capture him at the fort of bruinen but floodwaters summoned by elrond master of rivendell rise up and overwhelm them so they have another close call Mm -hmm. uh frodo recovers in rivendell under elrond's care and the council of elrond discusses the history of sauron and the ring and strider is revealed to be aragon ilsador's heir so he's like supposed to be a leader of men like all men. Um, Gandalf reports that the chief wizard Sauron has betrayed them and is now working to become a power in his own right. So this can be confusing if you haven't read the books or yeah, seen the movies. Yeah, because the names are very, are very, very close. So Sauron is like the big guy the who created eyeball. The, the eyeball, the giant creepy eyeball. He's like not really like a physical presence for all intents and purposes, mm-hmm. but he's like the evil being mm-hmm. that has created the ring and wants it back and all this stuff. Um, Sauron is another wizard. It's Christopher Lee. Who is Christopher Lee. And he is corrupted by Sauron's power. So you could call him like his his lackey to a okay. certain extent. He's like his number two. Um, and he causes enough issues, but he wants the ring too. And ostensibly he wants to take, you know, like he wants the ring to like give it to Sauron. But it's, you know, it's, he, he it's wants complicated. it for himself. Yeah, he wants it for himself. And he has an army of orcs and goblins and like he's the guy who's and got And that's like, why I was very scared. Yes. It's very like the orcs are terrifying. And the orcs and the Urukai are like the they're like nightmare. Nightmare. Nightmare is for Julia. Yeah. Orcs are actually um they are corrupted elves. Okay. So uh so they have the same like archery power. They're they're also um I don't think they're immortal. But they, they can be killed in battle, mm-hmm. obviously. But they're very powerful creatures because they're like the the other side of the coin of elves. Yeah. Um. So, uh, yeah. So Saruman is the, like a lackey of Sauron and he wants his own power. And he was originally like one of the wizards that was helping to get the ring and bring it back to, to like destroy it. But he betrayed the wizard mm-hmm. council and now he's on his own. So they're like, oh man, we got so many people against us. The council decides that the ring must be destroyed. They can't, they're like, we're, this can't go to anybody. It's too powerful. We got to throw it away. Um, but that can only be done by sending it to the fire of Mount Doom in Mordor, where it was forged. Uh, so Frodo takes this task upon himself, and Elrond, with the advice of Gandalf, chooses companions for him because he's like, this tiny little man is not going to be able to do this on his own. So the company of the ring, or the fellowship of the <laughs> ring, are nine. So it's Frodo, Sam, Merry, and Pippin, all the hobbits. Good luck. Good luck, you guys. <laughs> Aragorn, Gandalf, Gimli the dwarf, who is the son of Owen, who is in The Hobbit. Um, and uh, Legolas the elf, who was played by beautiful Orlando, Orlando Bloom in the movie. 
Um, they have a contentious relationship, but they become good friends. And it's very yeah, cute. Yeah, that's fun to watch. Uh, and the man Boromir, who is son of Denethor, the ruling steward of the land of Gondor. So he's another right. man who is who is allied with right. um, Aragorn. Four hobbits, a wizard, an elf, a dwarf, and two men. Yes. What Perfect. could go wrong? Look at you. Perfect. So they're like, let's set out. And this is in the point in the movie in the book where it's like, ba-ba-da, and they all have like little sashes or something and they're like go with our blessing they have have a cape with like the pin yes exactly Mm -hmm. and uh the elves give them all sorts of like food and supplies and they're like give go with our blessing good luck bye kisses kisses um so they set out so after a failed attempt to cross the misty mountains over the redhorn pass the company take the perilous path through the mines of moria so they go under the mountains instead of over Mm -hmm. the mountains and they learn the fate of Balin and his colony of dwarves. So Balin, who was Bilbo's buddy, was attacked um, by orcs. And yeah. they were like wiped out. So after surviving an attack, they are pursued by the orcs and by a Balrog, mm-hmm. which is a fire demon. <sighs> and Gandalf faces the Balrog and both of them fall into the abyss. Thou shalt not you Thou shall, not, shall pass. not pass. You shall not pass. He puts his staff down and like there's like a big like sonic boom. And he's like... And they're like fighting and fighting and they're running and he reaches the edge and he's being pulled down by the Balrog and he goes, fly, you fools. And then he gets pulled down, which is a very dramatic, dramatic. It was a great line read because that's directly from the book. Mm -hmm. And they're all so sad. They're like, oh, my God, Gandalf is gone. What are we going to do? Like, he's the wizard. He's the one with the magic. We don't have any (laughs) magic. Forget this. So they do escape. Uh, the rest of the others escape and they find refuge in the elven forest of Lothlorien where they are counseled by its rulers Galadriel and Celeborn and Galadriel of course is Kate Blanchett and she is as beautiful and as terrible as the dawn and she is so uh, she's so good in that part again one of the few female characters yeah. in this series so she gives them boats and gifts and the company travel down the river Anduin to the hill of Amon Hen and there, Boromir tries to take the ring from Frodo. He gets corrupted by the ring just like being right. near it. Uh, but Frodo puts it on and he disappears. Um, and Frodo decides, you know what? This is, I can't put my friends in danger any longer. I'm going to go alone to Mortar. And this is my responsibility. I'm going. But Sam, loyal Sam, <laughs> he guesses where he intends and he goes with him. He's like, I'm going with him. I'm going with Frodo. <laughs> so two towers, second book. Oh, that's another thing. I'll probably mention this again because my notes are all over the place. But um, this was originally conceived as one book. Yeah. But the publishers were, they were like, like uh, it's going to be very big. It, very big. So um, it was divided into three novels. And even today, you can buy them in their original, like, like all one book mm-hmm. set kind but of thing. But he wrote it all at once. It wasn't yes. like, a, like a George R. R. Martin situation. No. No. Where, you, where they were waiting with bated breath for the... Uh, no, they they definitely were all written together. So they are a consistent story, unlike with Some George R.R. R. Martin. Just saying. Anyway, second book is called The Two Towers. So we get right into the action. Orcs sent by Saruman and Sauron kill Boromir and capture Merian Pippin. Merian Pippin gets snatched up. So Aragorn, Gimli, and Legolas... They're like, who should we follow? Yeah. Should we follow Frodo into the darkness? Should we try and find Merry and Pippin? What about Saruman? Like, this guy is coming after us too? So they decide to pursue the orcs taking Merry and Pippin to Saruman. Mm-hmm. They're like, let's get this guy instead. 
So in the kingdom of Rohan, which is the kingdom of horsemen, these are the guys who ride horses and are really good at it. Um, the orcs are slain by a company of Rohirrim, which is the name of the people who live in Rohan. Um, Merry and Pippin escape into the Fangorn forest where they are befriended by Treebeard. <laughs> I am an ant. Yes. They are the oldest of the tree-like Ents. My best impression. That was ex- I felt like I was there. I felt like I was in the Fangorn Forest. Um, Ents are probably one of my favorite like races of creature, I guess. Mm-hmm. They are, Ents are giant tree-like. They are the protectors of the trees. Mm-hmm. The tr- trees, I guess, are their like sheep. And Ents are like the guardians of trees. So they're mm-hmm. tree-like, but... They speak very slowly. Their language is um, uh, very slow and drawn out. So when they have like conversations in their language, which is called Huan, they or Huorn, um, they could it could go for days when they talk because it's so long. Um, and part of the book, like half the book, is uh, Mary and Pippin being like, "Are you guys done yet? Like, can we please figure out what we're doing?" Um, which is kind of funny, but they're great. Um, and, uh, they're very peaceful people. They don't want to get involved in anything. Um, so there's that. So Aragorn, Gimli, and Legolas track the hobbits to Fangorn and there they unexpectedly meet Gandalf. <gasps> I thought he was dead. He's not. He explains he slew the Balrog. They, they fell into the abyss. It was a very dramatic thing. He was like, I mm-hmm. went to hell and back. It was awful. Darkness took him, but he was sent back to middle earth to complete his mission. And he is clothed now in white, and he is now Gandalf the White, for he has taken Saruman's place as the chief of the wizards. Ooh. Yeah. So now Saruman has, Saruman has been stripped of his, like, title, his guard, basically, mm-hmm. um, and some of his power, but that's debatable, I think. Uh, Gandalf assures his friends that Merry and Pippin are safe, and together they ride to Edoras, which is the capital of Rohan, and Gandalf frees Theoden, the king of Rohan, from the influence of Saruman's spy, Grima Wormtongue. Yeah, that's scary too. So Theoden is like under some kind of weird spell um, where he's making like decisions based on Saruman's power. Mm -hmm. And so his son, um, his sons are like, what's going on with dad? And he's like, no, 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 I'm fine. And he like in the movies, he's like gray and like old looking and like he's his life force is being like drained Mm -hmm. away by Grima Wormtongue, who's the worst. Um, so Theoden, so he's released from, by Gandalf. Gandalf like saves him from this and he musters his fighting strength and rides with his men to the ancient forest, to the ancient fortress of Helm's Deep, where Gandalf departs to seek help from Treebeard. So people are assembling. They're like, let's get this together. We're going to destroy Saruman. This is what we're doing. So meanwhile, the Ents were roused by Merry and Pippin from their peaceful ways. They decide to attack Isengard which is Saruman's stronghold. Because they learn that all their tree forest friends have been... They're being burned. Mm-hmm. It's terrible, like, because he's clearing a path, because he's clearing a path for Sauron. Um, so uh, they trap, the Ents trap the wizard in the Tower of Orthanc, which is, like, the main tower. Um, Gandalf convinces Treebeard to send an army of Huorns, which are the name for Ents, uh, to Theoden's aid, and Gandalf brings an army of Rohirrim to Helm's Deep, and they defeat the orcs who flee into the forest of the Ents, never to be seen again. But they got stomped. Oh, they got stomped. Ooh, they got stomped in a major way. Um, Gandalf offers Saruman a chance to turn away from evil. And when Saruman refuses to listen, Gandalf strips him of his rank and most of his powers. So he just like, you're done. So 
after Saruman crawls back to his prison, Wormtongue drops a sphere to try and kill Gandalf. Um, Pippin picks it up. He's like, what the hell is this? Mm -hmm. And it is revealed to be a palantir, which is a seeing stone that Saruman used to speak with Sauron and through which Saruman was ensnared. So it's basically like a direct link to Sauron. So Pippin is seen by Sauron. And then they're like, oh, no, we got to save Pippin because now he's got like the link with him and Sauron's going to come after him. So Gandalf rides for Minas Tirith, which is the chief city of Gondor, and he takes Pippin with him to protect him. So... Meanwhile, Frodo and Sam capture Gollum because they f- he, they find out that he was following them because he wants his ring back because that was yeah. his ring. Um, they force him to guide them to Mordor and they find that the Black Gate of Mordor is too well guarded. So instead they travel a secret way that Gollum knows. He's like, well, I will show you. Um, so on the way they encounter Faramir who, unlike his brother Boromir, resists the temptation to seize the ring. So turns out they just ran into Faramir. Whatever. Um, so Gollum, who is torn between his loyalty to Frodo and his desire for the ring, betrays Frodo by leading them to the great spider Shelob in the tunnels of Sirith Ungul. Yeah. And uh, Frodo falls to Shelob's sting. Yep. But with the help of Galadriel's gift, Sam fights off the spider. So he gives him like a, but she gives him like a tiny knife and he like mm-hmm. fights her off. Shelob is a girl, of course. Um, and believing Frodo to be dead, Sam takes the ring to continue the quest alone. He was like, I'll do it for you. Um, so the orcs find Frodo and Sam overhears them as he's leaving and he learns that Frodo is still alive. Okay. Okay. So that's the end of the two towers. Now, beginning of the return of the king. Third book. So Sauron sends a great army of orcs and goblins and all sorts of terrible things, uruk against Gondor. Uh, Gandalf arrives at Minas Tirith to warn Denethor of the attack while Theoden musters the Rohirrim to ride to Gondor's aid. So all of these men are like descending on Gondor, which is the city closest to Mordor. Mm-hmm. Um, Denethor is deceived by Sauron and falls into despair. So he gets the same like treatment as Theoden did. Um, and then he burns himself alive on a pyre. Yeah, that yeah. was really effed up. Yeah, it's super effed up. And he nearly takes his son Faramir with him. Yeah. Yeah. And Aragorn, accompanied by Legolas, Gimli, and the Rangers of the North, his other buddies, they take the paths of the dead to recruit the dead men of Dunharrow, who are bound by a curse which denies them rest until they fulfill their ancient foresworn oath to fight for the king of Gondor. So they go and find, like, literally ghosts. Mm-hmm. And they're like, Gondor's in trouble. This is what you were promised to do. So let's ride, my men. So... Following Aragorn, the army of the dead strike terror into Sauron's fleet of ships, which are called the Corsairs, um, that invade southern Gondor because it's a coastal city. Uh, Aragorn defeats them and uses their ships to transport the men of southern Gondor up the Anduin River, reaching Minas Tirith just in time to turn the tide of the battle. So they're like all descending. Uh, Theoden's niece, Eowyn, who joined the army in disguise, Mm -hmm. slays the lord of the Nazgul with help from Merry. How does she do it? The Nazgul uh, say that they cannot be killed by man. Mm -hmm. And she says, I am no man. I am no man. And then she kills him, which is a cool moment. Almost makes up for the fact that (laughs) there's almost no female characters in this book. Anyway. Uh, together, Gondor and Rohan defeat Sauron's army in the Battle of the Pelennor Fields, though at great cost. A lot of people die. Mm-hmm. Theoden is killed, ultimately, and Eowyn and Merry are wounded. Meanwhile, again, we're heading into Mordor. Sam rescues Frodo from the to- Tower of Sirith Ungol, and they set out across Mordor. He realizes, I can't leave Frodo. I'm going to grab him. 
Aragorn now leads an army of men from Gondor and Rohan to march on the Black Gate to distract Sauron from his true danger. So they're taking the back way and Aragorn's creating a diversion like, at the gates. <laughs> We're coming for ya. Exactly. Unfortunately, his army is vastly outnumbered by the great might of Sauron. And he knew this going in, mm-hmm. but he knew his true purpose, which is to help them destroy the ring. So Frodo and Sam reach the edge of the cracks of doom. They're like right there, but Frodo cannot resist the ring any longer. And he claims it for himself and he puts it on his finger. So they are just like at the edge. Suddenly, Gollum appears. He struggles with Frodo because he wants the ring and he bites off Frodo's finger with the ring still on it. And then while he's celebrating wildly, he loses his footing and falls into the fire, taking the ring with him, destroying the ring. So with the ring destroyed, Sauron loses his power forever and all he created collapses. The Nazgul perish and his armies are thrown into such disarray that Aragorn's forces emerge victorious. So that's the end of the ring. (sighs) However, it's not the end of the books. So Aragorn is crowned king of Arnor and Gondor and weds Arwen, who is the daughter of Elrond. Liv Tyler. Uh, Liv Tyler, who's beautiful in that movie. Oh, so stunningly gorgeous. Um, And then the four hobbits make their way back to the Shire, only to find that it's been taken over by men directed by one man named Sharky, who they later discover to be Saruman in disguise. He's still around. So the hobbits raise a rebellion. All the hobbits are like, let's fight. So they liberate the Shire, although 19 hobbits are killed and 30 are wounded. Oh, no. Which is very sad. Uh, Frodo stops the hobbits from killing the wizard after Saruman attempts to stab Frodo, but Grima Wormtongue turns on Saruman and kills him in front of Bag End, Frodo's home. He is slain in turn by hobbit archers, and the War of the Ring comes to its true end on Frodo's very doorstep. Isn't that amazing? How about that? Marian, I didn't know anything about that book. Yeah. Yeah. Merry and Pippin are celebrated as heroes. Sam marries Rosie Cotton, yeah. and he uses his gifts from Galadriel to help heal the Shire. So he uses, he gets like magic potions and things. Um, However, Frodo is still wounded in body and spirit, having borne the ring for so long. A few years later, in the company of Bilbo and Gandalf, Frodo sails from the Grey Havens west over the sea to the Undying Lands to find peace. So he goes out to volunteer. Uh, So in the appendices, Sam gives his daughter Eleanor the Red Book of Westmarch, which contains the story of Bilbo's adventures in the War of the Rings as witnessed by the Hobbits. So essentially this book, he gives it to his daughter like keep the story safe. Um, Sam is then said to have crossed West over the sea himself. The last of the ring bearers. He goes to, he goes to be with Frodo. It's very sweet. Why didn't they make that into a, into a movie? I don't, I don't know. Cause it's, it's very beautiful. <laughs> like you, I thought that that's how they ended the movies, but I don't think they do. I think they're just like, everyone's like, like it's over. I vaguely remember uh, Frodo like sailing somewhere. Yes. But, I don't think they talked about any of that other stuff. I don't think they talk about any of that other stuff. Hmm. And that's in like a quick little like epilogue kind of thing. So that is the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit. Those are the ones that everyone, like if you're interested in it, that's those are the ones that people read. These are the ones that people watch the movies. It's the thing. However, the Silmarillion. The Silmarillion is a collection of mythological works edited and published posthumously by his by J.R.L. Tolkien's son Christopher Tolkien in 1977 with assistance from Canadian fantasy writer Guy Gavriel Kay. Uh, the Silmarillion along with Tolkien's other works forms an extensive though incomplete narrative that describes the universe of Ea. So okay so Ea is the universe uh, I can't find Arda. Arda is the world Okay. So Arda is like the planet 
and then Middle Earth is a continent in the planet. Mm-hmm. So Ea is this universe. So how's that spelled? E A with an umlaut over it. Um, I think that's how it's pronounced. I mean, it's a made-up language, right? I can pronounce it any way I want. Um, so, <laughs> so it describes the universe of Ea in which are found the lands of Valinor, Beleriand, Numenor, and Middle Earth, within which the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings takes place. So the Silmarillion is kind of like an expanded view of this entire, like, basically universe. So the Silmarillion comprises five parts. The first part is called uh, Ainulandale, tells of the creation of Ea, the world that is. Valenkenta, the second part, gives a description of the Valar and Maiar, the supernatural powers in Ea. The next section, Quenta Silmarillion, which forms the bulk of the collection, chronicles the history of the events before and during the First Age, including the wars over the Silmarils that gave the book its title. Yeah, it's a lot. The fourth part, uh, Akalabeth, relates the history of the downfall of Numenor and its people, which takes place in the Second Age. And the final part of the Rings of Power in the Third Age, which is the title, is a brief account of the circumstances which led to and were presented in The Lord of the Rings. So essentially, the Silmarillion was meant to be the complete backstory and mythology of Tolkien's world. Okay. And he took it from notes that his father had, and then he and this other writer kind of fleshed it out. Fleshed it out and like fill in some gaps and created like more of a narrative because Tolkien, while he had kind of like internalized and like fully formed this kind of universe, especially with like language and script and all of this stuff, it was not exactly like put out completely onto paper kind Mm -hmm. of thing. So his son kind of gathered all of his notes and used them to create what he was assuming his father was kind of working on. So the five parts were originally separate works, um, but it was the elder Tolkien's express wish that they be published together. Like he was working on this Silmarillion as a, as a Hmm. book. Um, But because he died before he finished revising the various legends, Christopher gathered material from his father's older writings to fill out the book. Um, And in a few cases, this meant that he had to devise completely new material though within the tenor of his father's thought in order to resolve gaps and inconsistencies in the narrative. Um, so there have been gallons of ink and reams of paper spilled about the themes, meaning symbolism and mythology of Tolkien's world. Mm -hmm. Most of which he didn't comment on in his lifetime saying that he felt the meaning should be derived by the reader and not the author, which was kind of him. Um, (laughs) there was, uh, for a while there was a popular theory that the one ring was an allegory of the atomic bomb. Uh, which is because, I think, like, if a kind of a layperson thinks about Lord of the Rings, you might think it is older, that it wasn't contemporary. To, yeah, exactly. To that, that it had, it has a very, um, yeah, it has a very like Middle Ages quality to it. Um, but uh, yeah, this was written and like around mm-hmm. World War II, basically. Um, but Tolkien stridently denied that this was not an allegory yeah. of the atomic bomb. Tolkien, as a matter of fact, vocally opposed Adolf Hitler and the Nazi party before the Second World War and was known to especially despise Nazi racist and anti-Semitic ideology. In 1938, the publishing house uh, Rutten and Lonen Verlag was preparing to release The Hobbit in Nazi Germany. And to Tolkien's outrage, he was asked beforehand whether or not he was of Aryan origin. In a letter to his British publisher, Stanley Unwin, he condemned Nazi, quote, race doctrine as, quote, wholly pernicious and unscientific. He added that he had many Jewish friends and was considering, quote, letting a German translation go hang. He provided two letters to Rutten and Loening and instructed his publisher to send whichever he preferred. 
uh, the more tactful letter was sent, but unfortunately that was lost during the later bombing of Germany. Um, in the unsent letter, Tolkien makes the point that the the word Aryan is a linguistic term denoting speakers of Indo-Iranian languages. So he was like, so your whole Aryan thing isn't even like... Doesn't even mean what doesn't you think mean, it means. Yeah. And he continued in part, quote, but if I am to understand that you are inquiring whether I am of Jewish origin, I can only reply that I regret that I appear to have no ancestors of that gifted people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he was like really in, giving it to yeah. him. Um, altogether, Tolkien was anti-racism, anti-Nazi, anti-industrialization, pro-conservation, and a devout Catholic. Huh. Uh, there has been a lot of reading into his stories as being allegories of the Catholic faith, which may be true, but he himself objected to C.S. Lewis's use of religious references in his stories, believing them to be a little too on the nose. Sure. Yeah. Uh, my favorite story about him is that during the period when he was writing these stories, the Inklings were meeting frequently and reading aloud to each other their drafts of what they were working on. And according to letters written by other members, one day Tolkien began on another one of his Middle Earth tales when academic and Inkling Hugo Dyson muttered, not another fucking elf. Um, eventually, Tolkien stopped reading his works at meetings altogether. <laughs> um, the other thing that I should mention is that... Um, in the 1960s, there was a big resurgence of Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit as a uh, as like a cultural touchstone, um, mostly because uh, Ballantine Books issued paperbacks mm-hmm. of the novels, so it was a lot more people got a chance to read them, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and Frodo became kind of a counterculture icon. So Frodo lives became this counterculture slogan ah. that was written in graffiti. People had pins and buttons. It was like people would write it in like subway stations and stuff. It became like a symbol of the hippies. Okay. So uh, one of the things like you will see is like old boomers will still have like t-shirts that say Frodo lives or like buttons <laughs> and things. Um, so, and also that was around the time, like the late sixties, early seventies is when the um, animated version right. of the Hobbit came about. Uh, and no movie was made of it besides that, mm-hmm. at least like feature film length, um, until the movies came out in the late nineties with Peter Jackson and those became a huge hit. I mean, my dad got me into Lord of the Rings in a major way when I was a kid and I read them a couple of times, I think like the whole series two or three times. And when the movies came out, we were like so pumped and the Tegliferos, unfortunately are genetically, we have bladders the size of walnuts. So we would like... My sister and I, my dad would go out to lunch beforehand to like get, you know, like fill the belly because it's going to be a long road. But we would specifically not drink all day so that we could stay. I mean, like we all probably had kidney stones or whatever, but like so we could like stay in the movie the entire time. And we did that every time the movies came out, which was really fun. Um, So, yeah, the movies are very, for the most part, very like truthful, true to the books. They're great. I mean, the characters are wonderful. The settings are great. But the books themselves are just, they're stunning. And if I remember correctly, your husband, Steve, um, yes, would hold like the marathon type, we're going to watch all three in a row yeah. movies and also cook along with it. Yeah. So Steve would do, usually on New Year's Eve, but not always, um, he would have... <laughs> And I only did this once because by the time like we met and started dating, this was when everybody was kind of like mm-hmm. all of his friend groups were scattered. Kind of scattered all over the place. But this happened apparently every year for a long time where uh, he would play the movies. And this is like director's cut. 
and it all together was like 12 hours. So they would get together in the morning and he would create like this big spread of themed foods. So they would have breakfast and then they would have second breakfast and then they would have themed like meals. So there was, he had like Helm's deep dish pizza was one that, that reminded me of it. And at one point they like cooked, he like specifically ordered from Wegmans, uh, an, octopus to cook to grill like in January on his grill and it ended up being disgusting from what I remember (laughs) from what I remember him telling me it's not like I was there but when I was invited to one I thought like an idiot I thought it was like the movies are on in the background everyone's eating and talking and like watching a little bit or not no this was like everyone shut the hell up we're starting on disc one turn off the lights like turn off your phone watch Lord of the Rings for 12 hours and like at every at the end of every disc it was a new meal so they would finish the disc because it was DVDs finish the disc and then everyone would be like okay tea break like drink tea go go pee eat like this was a thing that and it would be like 25 people in his living room like watching Lord of the Rings it's cool it was a cool thing I remember the one year that I went, I didn't even stay for the whole thing. I think I left at like yeah. 7 p.m. Because it goes from like <laughs> like 9 a.m. to midnight or something like that. But anyway. Um, so yeah, Lord of the Rings has a lot of impact on our uh, culture and is probably one of the one of the earliest and, and most influential uh, works of high fantasy that and has he, influenced a lot of other and things. And you can see a lot, yeah, a lot of... Um, things from Harry Potter were very clearly influenced yes, by Lord of the Rings. Exactly. Well. And like most everything after that was written, anything fantasy related, mm-hmm. it does have like the fingerprints of Tolkien all over mm-hmm. it. Especially this idea of like creating a whole world mythology and history and language and all of this stuff. These backstories, whether it's explicit in the book or not, is all Tolkien. Like that was his thing. So it's cool. Um, if you haven't read the books, read the books. If nothing else, read Hobbit. Hobbit is short. It's entertaining. It's a kid's book, but not like too much of a kid's book. Um, and it's it's kind of sweet. It's kind of a sweet little, you know, fantasy novel. So the third book Bravo. of Lord of the Rings gets a little too much into like battle strategy. Yeah. Like you kind of have to <laughs> wade through it. We're like, and then he took his flanks to the lower right. Like it was just like so insane. Like to the West. Um, but yeah, they're good books. But anyway, that was my, uh, series on series, Lord of the Rings. Bravo, Lauren. Thank you. So my quiz today is called Der Ring des Nibelungen, a quiz on rings. Question number one. Speaking of Germany, the Audi emblem with its interlocking rings identifies one of Germany's oldest established automobile manufacturers. How many rings are in the emblem? Question number two. In 2002, everyone was properly freaked out by the horror mega hit The Ring, which spawned two sequels, The Ring 2 and Rings. While the movies were American, they were remakes of a foreign film and television series based on novels from what country, known for their extremely creepy horror films. Question number three. True or false, it is an Irish tradition that, depending on how you wear it, a Claddagh ring symbolizes the wearer's relationship status. Question number four. This Japanese video game series has made a comeback recently. In it, you play a fast character who sets out to stop the bad guy's schemes for world domination by navigating springs, slopes, bottomless pits, vertical loops, you know, typical video game stuff. Oh, and you have to collect golden rings to gain health. What is the name of this speedy video game? Question number five. 
The unincorporated community of Ring, Wisconsin, lies within the town of Nakimi on the eastern end of the Midwestern state. Can you name the county it's in? I'll give you some hints. It's another name for the native Ho-Chunk people. It's also a chicken breed and a manufacturer of recreational vehicles and motorhomes based in Forest City, Iowa. Question number six. This piece of jewelry, deceptively and modestly titled The Ring of the Fisherman, is an official part of the ensemble of what head of state, who also might have a big old key thanks to the first guy that held this title? Question number seven. Believe it or not, the parts of the bell reflect the parts of a person, i.e. it has a crown, shoulder, waist, lip, mouth, and this, which you have in the back of your mouth too and is sometimes called a clapper. Question number eight. The phrase, to grab a brass ring, means striving for the highest prize or living life to the fullest. It is derived from the act of actually grabbing a brass ring during the course of a ride on what repetitive pastime? Question number nine. In geometry, a torus is the surface of revolution generated by revolving a circle in three-dimensional space about an axis that is coplanar with the circle. Basically, that means its shape resembles this delicious baked or fried good. Question number 10. The steady rings, or the still rings, is an artistic gymnastics apparatus and the event that uses it. It is traditionally used only by male gymnasts. One of the most widely recognized skills performed on the rings is one which is executed by extending both arms straight out from the sides of the body while suspended mid-air for at least two seconds. What is the name of this torturous gymnastic skill? We'll give you a minute to think about it, and we'll be right back with your answers. middle of the earth in the land of Shire lives a brave little hobbit whom we all admire with his long wooden pipe fuzzy woolly toes. He lives in a hobbit hole and everybody knows him. Bilbo, Bilbo Baggins, he's only three feet tall. Bilbo, Bilbo Baggins, the bravest little hobbit of them all. Hobbits are peace-loving folks, you know. They're never in a hurry and they take things slow. They don't like to travel away from home. They just like to eat and be left alone. But one day Bilbo was asked to go on a big adventure to the caves below to help some dwarves get back their gold that was stolen by a dragon in the days of old Bilbo. Okay, Der Ring des Nibelungen, a quiz on rings. I just wanted to say it in German again. Question. Your German is very good. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's makes it sort of makes up for my terrible French. Um, question number one. Speaking of Germany, the Audi emblem with its interlocking rings identifies one of Germany's oldest established automobile manufacturers. How many rings are in the emblem? There are quattro. Yes, there are four. Four. Um, it symbolizes the amalgamation in 1932 of four previously independent motor vehicle manufacturers, which are Audi, DKW, Hork, and Wanderer. These companies form the roots of what is today Audi AG. Um, also, a friend of mine who doesn't listen to this podcast, uh, my friend Andrew, he is big into Audis, mm-hmm. and um, his uh, username on like a bunch of social media is IV Rings, like four rings. Okay. But everyone calls it Ivy Rings. Like, oh, you're Ivy Rings. And he's like, it's four. Why? Like, he gets so mad about it. It's like, you're the one who put Ivy Rings. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, if you wanted to be four, just put the numeral four. Anyway, 
It's, I thought it was funny. I still think of him as Ivy rings. <laughs> Question number two. In 2002, everyone was properly freaked out by the horror mega hit, The Ring, which spawned two sequels, The Ring 2 and Rings. While the movies were American, they were remakes of a foreign film and television series based on novels from what country, known for their extremely creepy horror films? Out of Japan. It is out of Japan. Did you see that movie? No, absolutely not. I saw that movie. You saw that movie? In a theater, I think. Julia! That's terrible. Did it give you nightmares forever? Oh, (laughs) 100%. You're not a good, I'm not a horror movie person. You are not no. a horror movie person. Cause that really, that goes right into your subconscious and you get bad dreams. Yep. So just so you know, the franchise began with Koji Suzuki's 1991 novel called ring. Um, it was the first of a trilogy with two sequels called spiral in 1995 and loop in 1998. Mm. Uh, in 1998, Hideo Nakata made a new Japanese ep- adaptation of the book in his film ring initiating the franchise. Um, several later novels based on Ring were released. Birthday, S, and Tide. Yeah. Not going to read them. Um, the thing that helps me with horror movies, and this kind of connects to the Lord of the Rings thing too in a really weird way. Every time I watch something that is unexpectedly scary, um, Stephen Colbert once said, regarding the Ring specifically, he said, whenever I'm watching a movie and it like really freaks me out, I imagine that character that's freaking me out like hanging out backstage in hair and makeup. Like they're fully dressed and thing. He's like, like the ring girl, like trying to eat ramen noodles behind her, like weird sheath of hair. Like if you imagine them as just like actors who are just doing a job and they're just like hanging out backstage, like trying to grab something from craft services, it makes it a little bit more palatable where you're like, okay, I can remove myself from this because it's not real. Okay. The other thing about Stephen Colbert is that he is a Lord of the Rings absolute fanatic Mm -hmm. like he has an encyclopedic knowledge of the lord of the rings has read the silmarillion understands the silmarillion can like expound upon all of its themes it's like like its world he can speak elvish like it's a whole thing um and he and it comes out a lot in the colbert rapport which Mm -hmm. was his show previously but especially now that he's playing like his own character like it's just him he gets to talk a lot about Lord of the Rings. <laughs> and in fact, he ended up playing, uh, he was in The Hobbit um, as like a cameo. Like he's like a background That's elf funny. or something, yeah. um, which like made his life. Like he was so excited about it. So it's very <laughs> sweet. Um, also about Stephen Colbert. I am a huge Stephen Colbert fan. My dream is to meet him before I die. Like I just love him oh, so much. Oh, that's totally attainable. Is it? Okay, guys, if you, honest to God, if you guys, listeners... If you know Stephen Colbert, huh, I actually like, I got a little, I got a little choked like, up. I think we just have to like figure, I think we just have to like go to New York City. And just like walk around and see if we can run into him. <laughs> like, I'm not obsessed. It's just, he seems like, I feel like he and I would get along. <laughs> like, I feel like he's a very sensitive, wonderful, intelligent person who also happens to be hysterically funny, but is also just like ex- exceedingly thoughtful. And his relationship with his wife is like so sweet. I just love him so much. So if you know him and if you can get me in touch with him, I would love you forever. I would give you all the swag we have. Oh, we have stickers. You get all we the have, swag. We have coasters. I would give you a personal warm hug for as long as you need. <laughs> just saying. Anyway, I'm sorry. Where was I? Where were you? I'm on a, I'm doing a quiz. Okay. I'm like sweating. Okay. <laughs> Question number three. True or false, it is an Irish tradition that, depending on how you wear it, a claddagh ring symbolizes the wearer's relationship status. Now, I'm trying to think if this is a trick question because I I feel like I know of people that would wear it one way or the other, but mm-hmm. I'm not sure if it's an actual Irish tradition. I'll just say 
I'll just say true. It is true. Okay. Uh, according to Irish author Colin Murphy, a Claddagh ring was worn with the intention of conveying the wearer's relationship status, thusly. On the right hand with the point of the heart toward the fingertips, the wearer is single and might be looking for love. Uh, on the right hand with the point of the heart toward the wrist, the wearer is in a relationship. Someone has captured their heart. Uh, on the left finger with the point of the heart toward the fingertips, the wearer is engaged. And on the left ring finger with the point of the heart toward the wrist, the wearer is married. So it's two hands. Two hands. And a heart. And a heart. Is like there holding something a heart. on top of the heart? There's a crown over okay. the heart. Yep. Um, however, just a caveat for this folklore about the ring is relatively recent and not ancient. Mm, okay. So it's very hard to find research based in anything besides just like, I guess like local chatter mm -hmm. and like, um, manufacturers, like people who make them. Yeah. Uh, question number four. This Japanese video game series has made a comeback recently. In it, you play a fast character who sets out to stop the bad guy schemes for world domination by navigating springs, slopes, bottomless pits, vertical loops, you know, typical video game stuff. Oh, and you have to collect golden rings to gain health. What is the name of this speedy video game? That would be uh, Sonic the Hedgehog. It is Sonic the Hedgehog. It's in the news because of the new movie, and I would be very remiss if I did not talk about the movie. Mm -hmm. uh, the film, as a matter of fact, follows Sonic, voiced by Ben Schwartz, as he journeys to San Francisco with a small town cop, James Marsden, who will never age, is still like oh so handsome. He's has never he does has not aged a day. No. Oh, he's so beautiful. Anyway, so he can escape Eggman, who is Jim Carrey, and collect his missing rings. Um, Sonic was initially redesigned so he would be more realistic with fur, new running shoes, two separate eyes, and a more human-like physique. Um, so, and the internet did not like that. Ooh, the internet didn't like it. Um, turns out the production team used Ted, the living teddy bear from the Ted films, as a reference to insert a CG character into a real-world setting. However, Sonic's redesign was met with heavy backlash. It was criticized for not resembling the one from the games and described as evoking an uncanny valley-type repulsive response from viewers. Mm -hmm. He had human-like teeth. That was the thing that people really were freaked yeah. out by. Um, as such, the design was revised that so would better resemble the original, and Paramount originally scheduled Sonic the Hedgehog for a November 8th, 2019 release, but delayed it to February 14th, 2020 to accommodate the redesign. Uh, the film received generally positive reviews from critics who felt it exceeded the low expectations typically associated with video game-based films, and Carrie's performance in particular was praised. Question number five. The unincorporated community of Ring, Wisconsin, lies within the town of Nikimi on the eastern end of the Midwestern state. Can you name the county it's in? I'll give you some hints. It's another name for the native Ho-Chunk people. It's also a chicken breed and a manufacturer of recreational vehicles and motorhomes based in Forest City, Iowa. Is it Winnebago? It is Winnebago. Yeah, I saw you like... like <laughs> <laughs> I saw you realize it like halfway through me rereading this question. Um, as it turns out, on June 4th, 2018, the company expanded into motorboat manufacturing with the acquisition of a company called Chris Craft. Chris Craft. Chris Craft. Yeah. Your favorite boat. Yep, my favorite boat. Um, <laughs> question number six. This piece of jewelry, deceptively and modestly titled The Ring of the Fisherman, is an official part of the ensemble of what head of state, who also might have a big old key thanks to the first guy that held this title? There, there's like a little vague tickle in my brain about this, but okay. I don't think I know. So uh, uh, what was the thing about the key? Uh, uh, it's part of the ensemble of what head of state who also might have a big old key thanks to the first guy that held this title. Oh, is it the Pope? It is the Pope. Good job. 
Um, it's called this because of St. Peter, who was a fisherman by trade and the first leader of the early church. He has the key to heaven. So that's his like. Uh, <laughs> what if he lost it? Oh, then he's screwed. He has a tile on it. Yeah, he's got a tile on it. So you can check his phone and be like, oh, geez, I left it in my cell again. Um, It is also known as the Piscatory Ring. And I was like, when I was writing this question, I learned a lot about it. So I'm going to tell you about the Fisherman's Ring. It's very interesting. So the Fisherman's Ring is a signet used until 1842 to seal official documents signed by the Pope. Since at least the Middle Ages, it has been tradition for Catholics meeting the Pope to show their devotion by kissing this ring. Mm -hmm. Um, ironically, a new one is cast for each new Pope and traditionally it was destroyed at the death of the Pope to avoid forged documents. Okay. Uh, today the destruction of the rings device with deep scratches is a symbol of the end of the rule of the Pope who used to wear that ring. So they just kind of like stamp it, cross it out. Uh, this custom was followed after the resignation of Pope Benedict the 16th by applying two deep cuts in the shape of a cross on the signet with a chisel. Although Pope Benedict wore his fisherman's ring daily, it is no longer the custom for popes to wear it at all. Uh, Generally, a new pope will either inherit the daily wear ring of his predecessor, keep an old ring of his own preference, or will choose a new daily wear style. Mm. Uh, Generally, popes of the past wore Episcopal rings in keeping with the fashions of the time. So, for example, Pope Pius XII, for example, often wore a heavily ornate ring set with a stone. Uh, Pope Pius IX most often wore a cameo of himself made entirely of tiny diamonds, which is definitely a Pope Pius the ninth kind of thing uh pope Pius the 10th wore a simple smaller stone set ring and in keeping with the modern spirit suggested by pope john the 23rd and actually practiced in his later years by pope paul the sixth pope francis only wears a simple gold-plated silver ring for papal ceremonies preferring to wear his small silver ring from his days as a cardinal which is totally He's a man pope. of the people oh pope frank's a man of the people it's my boy pope frank um Okay, question number seven. Believe it or not, the parts of a bell reflect the parts of a person, i.e. it has a crown, shoulder, waist, lip, mouth, and this, which you have in the back of your mouth too, and is sometimes called a clapper. I'm just stuck on uvula. It is a uvula. (laughs) It's a uvula. Um, So the earliest archaeological evidence of bells dated from the third millennium BCE and is traced to the Yangshao culture of Neolithic China. Clapper bells made of pottery have been found in several archaeological sites, and the pottery bells later developed into metal bells. In West Asia, the first bells appear uh, in 1000 BCE, and the study of bells is called campanology. Question number eight. The phrase to grab brass ring means striving for the highest prize or living life to the fullest. It is derived from the act of actually grabbing a brass ring during the course of a ride on what repetitive pastime? That's a carousel. It is a carousel. Have you done that? I have not. Um, So typically getting the brass ring gets the rider some sort of prize when presented to the operator. The prize is often a free repeat ride. Yeah. Um, There are only 14 carousels in the U.S. still operating brass rings, Uh and three of them are in New York State, two are downstate, and one is in Elmira, New York. And one's on Martha's Vineyard. Oh, yes, of course. that's where I got to ride it. I see. Did you grab the brass ring? No, I didn't get the brass Uh, ring. It's like, yeah, it's like wooden rings, and then it's like a slot. Yeah. And then as you go by, you're supposed to try to grab from it, and Mm -hmm. um, yeah, most of them are wood, but then there's one brass one. Yeah, there's only one brass one and like multiple wood or other metal Mm -hmm. ones. Yeah, that's what I've heard. Okay, question number nine. In geometry, a torus is a surface of revolution generated by revolving a circle in three-dimensional space about an axis that is coplanar with the circle. Basically, that means its shape resembles this delicious baked or fried good. It's uh, Homer Simpson's favorite treat. Yep. The donut. It is a donut. Um, the info on tori, which is the plural of torus, is so... T-O-R-I-I? T-O-R-I. So a torus is T-O-R-U-S. 
So the info on this is so convoluted that I could not comprehend enough to repeat the information on this podcast. Mm -hmm. But I will say that National Donut Day is on the first Friday of June each year, succeeding the Donut Day event created by the Salvation Army in 1938 to honor those of their members who served donuts to soldiers during World War I. Isn't that nice? So National Donut Day actually has like a history as opposed to just like yeah, like Dunkin' Donuts. And some places like, will give you a free one on it. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, and finally, question number 10, the steady rings or the still rings is an artistic gymnastics apparatus and the event that uses it. It is traditionally used only by male gymnasts. One of the most widely recognized skills performed on the rings is one which is executed by extending both arms straight out from the sides of the body while suspended midair for at least two seconds. What is the name of this torturous gymnastic skill? Okay. For all the marbles. Yes. I am going to say Iron Cross. It is the Iron Cross. Nice job. That's two. (laughs) That's two 10 for 10s. You know how many 10 for 10s I have? Zero. That's such. (laughs) No, I don't have any. Remember, I got very close at one time and then I got got the 10th question wrong. Not that I'm counting or anything. Yes, you are correct. It's called the Iron Cross. What's crazy is that it that's not even the most difficult strength skill on the rings. That award goes to the Maltese Cross. Ooh. Okay, so you can try and imagine okay. this. Where the gymnast holds his or her body parallel to the ground at ring height with arms extended laterally. Yeah, that... Yep. So, so the iron cross is like your vertical. Like yep, you're the, the camera facing them. Yeah. You see them and they are across. Yes. And then the, the other Maltese one cross. is they are laying like looks like they're laying down kind yeah. of. But so it's like in the air. Basically you're in the iron cross and then you bring your body backwards up so that you are like Superman but with your arms extended outwards in a T shape. And then you hold that for two seconds. And so I was like, that can't possibly be done. So I Googled it and I Googled all the, all the pictures of these people, these poor men doing this and their faces, like their faces are bright red. (laughs) Their eyes are bulging out of their skulls, their necks, like all of the, the (gasps) tendons in their necks are like standing out. Like it is literally every muscle of your body and every nerve ending is like a fire because you're doing this impossible. You're basically like, holding up your body by your wrists it's insane <laughs> it's insane um so yeah uh i give these wow. guys a lot of credit so yeah that was my uh des uh my quiz on rings so, wonderful job thank you thank you um and now it's time for our our favorite segment so far this year of 2020 germs, germs corner. corner so um today's germs corner is steel guitar like in country music was invented in Hawaii. Huh. There you go. Thanks, Germ. Some of these are not long, but that's okay. It's great. It's great. It's good to know. It's always good to know, and it's good trivia. So thank you for that, Germ. Thank we appreciate you, Germ. it. And we appreciate you. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, you can find us pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts. Um, uh, thank you to everybody so far who's rated, reviewed, and subscribed to us. We yes. appreciate it. Um, we've been getting some messages and things from people who are saying that uh, they just found us or they're, they're like binging and they're like halfway through. We've been getting we've been getting some emails from people who are like responding to something from like two years ago. And we've been texting back and forth like, do you know, do you remember what this is about? <laughs> Luckily, so far we have. Yeah, so we far. Have known. We have known. One of us has known each <laughs> <Yes>. time. <laughs> Exactly. So, so far it's been good, but sometimes not, not that I'm saying this is a bad thing, no, but it's, it's very, very funny. nice and it's very funny that people are still discovering us. Yeah. So that's always great. 
Um, so uh, that's all we got. Thanks yeah. so much for listening, guys. We will catch you next time. Bye. Bye.